this gets very close to the my most favorite thing on earth to talk about. Mother's Day always brings me very close to my very most favorite thing on earth. My most favorite thing, well, not just on earth, in heaven and whatever. Uh, but, of course, that's going to be God, but I'm talking about my favorite thing about God. And... Uh, Theologians are like, all of his attributes are a seamless unity, whatever. I want to talk about something that really healed my soul. And it is the thing about God that I think in our minds we would say is most like a woman. And uh, the title I put, The Best Love on Earth. The best love on earth among humans and human relationships You might say it's marital love, but I think the truest, purest, most unselfish, most giving sort of a love is a mother's love. And a wife, and unfortunately even most dads, or a brother or a sister, they might leave you if you do certain things, or abandon you, or forsake you, Hopefully none of us here because we've been invaded by the love of God and we'll be true to the end, right? But just in the natural state of things, the last one who will ever forsake you on earth is who? Your mother. So I heard years ago about, I've told you this before, you're like, oh, we've heard all your stories. But um, there was a, uh, a greeting card company and they said, hey, we're going to give over, we're going to give our excess cards to the prisoners <coughs> so that they can write letters to their mothers on Mother's Day, and they could not give enough cards to the prison. Um, and, and then other prisons were like, give us cards, give us cards. They said, hey, let's do the same thing on Father's Day. Crickets. Because uh, dad may have never been there, but mom always was. And dad may have stopped coming by the prison, but not, mom never stopped writing. Because that's, there's just something about a mother's love. And I'm going to talk about a mother's love because, let's see, I've got a lot of scripture to cover. And I just want to meditate. So on, on the aspect of God that's very much like a mother. So Lord, help me to do justice to this. And I pray people would be undone and floored by the depths of your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. So first of all, I started, uh, I was meditating on all the mother passages in Scripture, the best mother passages that are comparing God to a mother. And uh, this one came to mind because the Apostle Paul, of course, he wrote a bunch of letters to a bunch of churches. And immature Christians, just like immature children, do not appreciate it when God has put someone of value in their life. And maybe they're, you know, like if you ask a kid, would you rather spend Saturday with your dad or with the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs? You're like, well, duh, the quarterback, you know? Or would you rather spend, see, a kid just said, yeah. Would you rather spend spend time with your mom or would you rather spend time with some psychological wreck of a of a star who's you know on billboard top 20 whatever and people would be people would be like a lot of kids don't know what to choose 
And uh, when a leader comes into the church, they didn't realize what they had in the Apostle Paul. And so these flashy, glitzy, silver-tongued guys would come into the churches and the babies would be like, let's listen to them. And Paul would often be having to defend himself. Isn't that just preposterous? Did you know that, you know, just as a side note, people say that the greatest theological mind ever in the United States, does anybody know who they, most scholars say it is? Be Jonathan Edwards. His church fired him. So <laughs> back in the 1700s. So you look back and you go, you bunch of morons. Well, anyway, that's what, um, that's, that's like children. That's immaturity. So Paul oftentimes would have to defend himself. And with the Thessalonians, he pulled out the big guns. The really big guns. And let's look at what he said. We never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. I didn't, I'm not in this for the money, you know that. I didn't come with just silver tongue oratory skills. God is my witness. Nor did we seek glory from men. I didn't want standing ovations. I didn't want applause. I said the hard things. I used tough love when you needed it. I didn't need glory from you or from others. Even those apostles of Christ, my paraphrase, we could have flexed our muscles. We could have pulled out the authority club if we wanted to. He, and Paul says, all right, to, to really nail you to the wall, watch what I did. We proved to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. This is so unexpected. And this is so, uh, Paul uses this language elsewhere, but very carefully, just like God uses it very carefully in Scripture. Because it's almost like everybody on earth knows that when you talk about a mother's love, you're talking about something sacred, something holy. You can compare it to a father, compare it to a friend, even compare it to a lover. But you talk about a mother's love. I mean, you're, you're getting just dealing with the deepest human connections here. Like a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, having so fond an affection for you. And the people are like, oh man, I feel so stupid. Why were we so bad to Paul? He's right, he, right? You wanna, you wanna nail him to the wall and say, I loved you like your mother loves you. So fond and affection. We are well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives. Because you had become very dear to us. Can you think of anywhere in the New Testament where Paul uses more just heartfelt, emotional appeal to kind of slap people back to attention? I, I can't. I couldn't come. And he said, wants to pull out the big gun. He's going to talk about a mother's love. So when God wants to pull out the big guns, he doesn't do it often in the Old Testament. And again, we don't want to pit a mother's love against a father's love because God is the perfection of all human-like attributes. But God has a, a, a kind of love that outshines a mother's love. And we know that nine times out of ten, a mother's love is going to be purer and truer and stronger than a man's love, than a husband's love, than a father's love. That's just a fact. Why? It's, it's actually, it's, according to Scripture, it's almost physiological. It's in the mom's hardwiring. It's in her heart. She can't really do anything about it. So anyway, we'll talk about that in a minute. So that's my favorite. My favorite Hebrew word actually comes from that. And uh, let's see what scriptures I pulled up here. Oh, and so, by the way, just as a precursor to where I'm going, I'm going to say whatever you can say about a mother's love, God's is better. 
the depth, the commitment. So you think you uh, sinned one too many times and God's sick of you? Uh, would your mom take you in? Would your mom forgive you? Even a bad mom. And we're, we're going to actually look at an amazing passage of Scripture where Solomon, the wisest king, even stirred up the heart of a twisted, sick, sinful woman because of this hard wiring that exists between a mother and a child. Because um, every mother has it unless she has literally lost her mind, which can happen. But So this is what God says about his love when comparing it to a mother's love. He said, my love is better. Now, you want to keep your eyes out, especially those of you who've been here. You know what word I'm going to be getting at. It's compassion, which in Exodus 34, 6 is rehum, and it comes from the word from the mother's womb. And in Hebrew, they took that word from a mother's womb, and they, when you say it in the plural, it means compassion. And then when you use it adjectivally, it means that I, you know, that, that person has compassion. So you can use it as a noun. But it actually comes from the word rechem for the womb. So the very word for compassion in the Hebrew comes, it's a mother word. It's my favorite word. Because it's when I discovered that God has that, that I went, ah, then what do I got to worry about? If God really has that, what do I got to worry about? I am set. And so the devil fights tooth and nail. And some of you guys are sitting there going, yeah, that'd be really nice to know and really cool if it were true. But it's not because I got all my theology straight and I know that's just not the way God is. Well, either you're right or I'm right. And either the devil's pulling one over on you or the devil's pulling one on over, one over on me. And again, you guys know this. I had a couple of theological degrees before I discovered this. I'd memorized I don't know how many books of scripture before I came to understand this. I learned Hebrew and Greek. I sat under some of the great theological, biblical studies minds, you know, in, in, in Bible college and seminary, etc. before I came to understand this. So either you're right with your compassionless God that's sick of you and doesn't want to hear from you anymore and is tired and thinks you've gone one step too far. Um, or I'm right because I still, I still have a hard time embracing this, but God says it so many times that you get to the point where either God filled his, his word with a bunch of nonsense and said a bunch of things about himself that were superfluous or we weren't really supposed to grab a hold of, or he really has this compassion that's better than a mother's. And this is what he says in Isaiah. He says to Israel, who is under the severest kind of judgment because they're wicked, Zion said, Zion's just another word for Jerusalem, where the Temple Mount is, and you could use it as a, as a uh, figurative uh, point of reference when you're talking about the whole nation. But they're under judgment. Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. So when we, when we go into wickedness, that's how we feel. Because there is judgment. It's built into the system. You break God's principles and you do things your own way, uh, you're going to reap the whirlwind. God doesn't have to do anything. He doesn't have to shoot lightning bolts out of his fingers. He's usually up in heaven crying. You're doing it to yourself. And then the devil tells you that God did it to you. And so you're like, God, why'd you do this to me? I'm like, what are you, he's like, what are you talking about? I've been involved in your life for the last 20 years. I don't know why you're thinking I did this to you. You're, you're doing it your way. This is all you. If you'd invite me in, things could change. But anyway, these people are in a season of judgment where they're reaping what they've sown. And they say, the Lord has forgotten us. He's forsaken us. Uh, Old Testament language, he's given us over. 
Uh, sometimes I'll use even language of, of God's direct inter- intervention when it's not even him. He, he stretched out his hand against us. But anyway, that's different talk. It's a figurative way of talking about miserable circumstances that are the judgment of God. And God says this, can a woman forget her nursing child? You may be getting the crud pounded out of you, but to think I've forgotten you, to think you're not dear to me, to think you're not constantly on my mind, to think I'm not longing, yearning for you to come back. And just like the, 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 the parable of the prodigal son, if you made the slightest movement back to me, I wouldn't come sprinting to meet you. He said, if, if a woman, can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb, womb, even if she could, I will never forget you. So this is his people. And in Christ, the Bible, Paul says, all the promises in Scripture are yes and amen. And so these the statements that are made to Israel apply to us in the body of Christ at a much higher level. And so God's saying, you may think I, I don't love you, I've forgotten you, I've forsaken you. And he said, even if a mother could forget her child, which, again, it's raining babies in our community and our broader network of people, and it's just fun to see women experience a love that they never knew possible. Is that true, mothers? Say amen if that's true. That there's a love that you just didn't even know was you were capable of. God said, if that woman could forget that baby, if that were even possible, he said, I could never, never forget you. I've carved your name on my hand, which is a figurative way of saying I think about you all the time. So let's move on here. My favorite verse. This is one of the reasons I'm looking forward to going to Africa. You guys hear this again and again and again and again. And because you hear it again and again and again, some of you think, I know it. And if you knew it, you'd have no fear. You'd have no depression. You'd have no dark days. You could go through anything. You could be singing in prisons like the apostles if you really understood what I was saying. And so where am I going? Exodus 34, 6, of course, because this is when God reveals himself to Moses. And then all of God's friends look back to this description of God as the paradigm, the theological ground zero for anybody that really wants to know God. Moses says, let me know your ways that I may know you. Let me see your glory, et cetera, et cetera. And so this is what God does. The Lord passed by before him and said, Yahweh, that's just the I am, or he is from our perspective. I am from God's perspective. So we call him Yahweh, Yahweh. He said, and then, and then he'll oftentimes put words behind Yahweh to help us understand what he is. So it's saying he is, he is what? A God. El is just a generic word for God. So Yahweh, Yahweh, that's his personal name. I'm a God. First word out of his mouth to Moses. The foundation, he's really the foundation of everything. Abraham's kind of the foundation of faith and all that. But as far as the Ten Commandments, the law, the covenants, even this foundational name, who is it given to? Moses. And God even told Moses, I'm going to reveal myself to you in a way deeper than I've ever revealed myself to anybody. And this is what he tells him. First word out of his mouth is compassionate. And that, he, it, that word is a mother word. It comes from the word for the womb. What does it mean? It means the same way a mother's heart it, it erupts when any kind of danger or need or want. Uh, uh, they, they see that in their child when they hear a cry in the night. Dad's over there, 
right? Mom's like, ah! Her heart's on fire. That's compassion. That's what he's talking about here. Now, men can have it too, especially if we have the Holy Spirit. We can even have it higher than an earthly mother can have it. But God gave us uh, this very clear touch point. So even the, the most uh, dull-witted of us can kind of get what he's getting at here. Because women, mothers, um, even ones that don't love the Lord, they've got this hard wiring. And so the first word out of his mouth is he said he was compassionate. I'm not, I'm, it just gets better from there. But compassion kind of kicks it off because I feel this way about you. I want to do you good. God feels this way about you. Everyone. And this, I, a lot of times I'll like give bad examples and I'll be like, I don't want to look at anybody. You know, I'm like, someone in here is struggling with deep sin. Oh, I don't want to look at them. You're right. But in here I say, God loves you all in this way, like a mother. So I'll look at everybody. <laughs> everybody in the room. Then I'll go on Zoom and I'll look at everybody on Zoom. He loves you all. And so there's nothing he won't do for you. If you're having trouble, we're going to go, we're going to go into this in a moment. And I meditated on this and I saw something that I had never really thought about before. It's kind of interesting that the best form of human love is a mother because a mother is weak. And when a boy gets 12 or 13 years old, he can tell the person who loves him the most on the whole planet. She said, would you please be home at 10? I don't think so. Well, then I'm going to punish you. Go ahead and try. Right? If there's no dad around, now if there's dad around, they're like, Virgil. And the son's like, ah, right? So he's like the big stick. You know, Scott, your son's lipping off again. And the kid's like, ah, okay, I'm mom, okay, okay. But if it's just mom by herself, she's vulnerable. And she can't force, she can't force the love back. She can try to win the love. Now, dad, <laughs> this is really funny. Because dads show different aspects of God. But this is really funny. If my boys were here, my sons still do this to me because now they like to think they're bigger and stronger than me. But uh, what I used to say to them, and I, it was in fun, but I was, I was kind of making a point. If they were getting a little uppity, I didn't care if I was in the mall or the grocery store or at a football game or whatever. I said, do you want to lay down on the ground right here? And they, I mean, they're up in high school, they're in football and all this. Do you want to lay down on the ground right here? Because I will do it. Um, and so my son, I was out rock climbing with him in Colorado last week, and he kept doing that to me just as a joke. Now he's 6'5", and he's like, do you want to lay down on the ground right here? <laughs> I said, all right, let's see. see if can do it. A mom can't do that. She loves deeply, but you have to choose to love mom. Now, God could have forced us all to do everything the way he wants it done. But God put, he chose to limit himself. So he's not going to twist your arm. He's not going to make you lay down on the ground. And if you want to spit in his eye, he will let you. And he won't knock you to the ground. He won't twist your arm. And he won't drag you to church. And he won't make you, you know, move out of your boyfriend, girlfriend's apartment. And he won't make you stop drinking or hanging out with the wrong people. Just like mom can't. He could have. He could. He he's got all the power. But he set up the game a certain way, and he said, "I'm gonna. I'm going to self-limit. 
and I'm going to give these people freedom. And if they're going to love me, it's because I'm going to show them how much I love them and they're going to choose to love me. So I never know when I'm getting emotional when I'm talking, but I love this aspect of God. It's so wonderful. So God's a lot like a mother in this regard. And so let's just meditate on what a mother's about here a little bit more. So first of all, if God's love is like a mother's but better, know that you are wanted. And so when I was meditating on this, I was thinking, what's a good example of someone who really, 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 really wanted a baby in the Bible? And I thought of Hannah. I'm not going to go into the whole story, but this is a woman who couldn't have a child. And it was plaguing her and she so wanted a child and she went to the temple to wrestle with God because she wanted a baby. It came about as she continued praying before the Lord. So she's in the temple. Eli, that's the priest, was watching her mouth. And Hannah, uh, as for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart only, or only her lips were moving. You ever done that? Well, if you've never prayed like that, you haven't gone very far into prayer. If you want to blow your mind and learn from a church that really knows how to pray, uh, go and watch House of Prayer. By It's a sermon by a guy named Jim Cimbala. And he talks about how their church and him as a father and how they prayed when his daughter was out in New York going bonkers on the street. How they prayed. And he said one night the church, he said it was like a labor room. He said people were groaning and crying and, and just wrestling with the Lord. So anyway, but she's not doing it out loud, which when you're driving your car, you can do that. But she didn't want to get everyone in the temple looking at her, yelling, screaming. So, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. You said, oh, I think that pastor's exaggerating over there. I don't think I am. I think she was probably pacing. I think she was doing this. Maybe shedding tears. What was she saying? I want a baby! Give me a baby! I want a baby! (laughs) That's the way a lot of women feel. In our culture, we just so downplayed, devalued the beauty of motherhood and womanhood and all these things. And what Tim was saying is exactly true. Now, you can't tell everyone that the high, every woman, the highest thing on planet Earth for you to do is to be a mother because there are exceptions and God calls some people to do other things. But for many, and I would say most of you, the most meaningful, valuable, God-ordained thing for you to do is to bring life into this world and nurture it well. And that will bring you more joy and satisfaction. And I boast about my wife a lot. She says that, and she loves her life, and she loves me, and she loves ministry and all this, but she'll say, I will never do anything as satisfying as when I got to just obsess over these three little gifts of God that I was given. She did homeschooling. Now, the thing about my wife that's really cool and is um, don't amen when I say this, but she was smarter than me. And uh, 
And she could pretty much do anything. She's, she's really competent, really brilliant. And everybody says that about their wives. But I mean, she got into Johns Hopkins, which I, if I ask anybody to raise their hands, who else did that? There'd be nobody in the room. And then she went to choose the fellow at George Washington to get her master's degree. When I met her, she spoke German and Russian, and she was thinking about becoming a college professor. She was working in D.C. at a think tank. And then she realized, this is, what, this is the one thing that got my attention, was she said, basically, I hope I'm getting this right, I don't want to be a man. I want to be a woman. Now, she wasn't a transvestite or anything like that. I mean, it was just she was, she was out there competing in a man's world, beating all the men. She's beating them. And so this morning I said, I, I, I came up with a list and I said, you know what? I, I'm comfortable with this list as a man. I said, what does a man do? I'm comfortable with this list. A man serves the people that he loves by guiding them, providing for them, and protecting them. I'm pretty comfortable with those, you know, and he can do more and he can do, he can do more things that we associate with women and all those kind of things. But a man is supposed to bring home the bacon. He's supposed to keep the bad guys away. He's supposed to say, son, this is how you do it. And this is how he's fulfilling his, you know, and there's other things. And, you know, this is, of course, very broad brush. And I woke up this morning and said, what, what is a woman created to do? And there's exceptions and whatever. And I came up with a little list. And then I said, Susan, what would you say if you only had three words? She said, oh, there's so many words. I said, you only get three. Just pick three. <laughs> and uh, she basically, except for the last one, we came up with nurturing. What was it? Teaching and healing. I don't know if that's a perfect list. But I said, I said even look at the professions women go into. They become teachers. They become nurses. Right? They just, they have a heart to nurture and teach and heal. Who does little Bobby run to when he falls off the bike? Not me. Mom. You know, dad's, you know, dad's like rub some dirt on it and whatever. Suck it up. You know, mom, oh, get over it. Right? They're healers. They're, they're, so anyway, so uh, I got way off this story here. First of all, you're wanted and God has this love for you, this compassion for you like your mom does, like Hannah, who is praying so hard for this person she doesn't even know yet that the priest thinks she's drunk. Why? Is she, what's she planning to do? I want to make it into a slave. I'm going to hire it out to make money. No, I want to love this little thing. I want to love it. I want to nurture it. I want to heal it. I want to teach it. I want it to become something awesome and God-glorifying Please, God, give me this little human being so I can do this. I don't even know this person yet, but that's just in me. It's in my hard work. So first of all, God wants you. Everybody, look at everybody's eyes again. Right? God wants you, and he wants you worse than Hannah wanted that baby. At the end of this, we're going to look at a psalm, Psalm 145, because a lot of us, we come up in theological circles, no, God wants this little group, but he doesn't want this group, and he's selective, and he's, his love is weird and chintzy, and we've got to kill it with the death of a thousand qualifications. Uh, psalm 145, if you know the Hebrew, the thing that strikes you sometimes about the Hebrew is sometimes a word will come up again and 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 again. And in Psalm 145, the word is all. And it says his compassion's over all his works. 
God is good to all, 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 all. And it talks about him answering the prayer of all who come to him. So anyway, this is, God wants you. That's the first thing you need to know about his love. What's something else about God's love? He can't help himself. He loves you and he can't help himself. So he's like a mother. He said, a mother could forget her child. I can't forget you. And this is a story of those two prostitutes that come before King Solomon. And these are sick women. These are psychotic, crazy women. These are like, these are like women you know, dressed in orange. These are prison women. They're living in a house together. One of them rolls over on, the other's, on her baby, kills it. And she's so sick, she says, I'm going to snatch this woman's baby and exchange them out and try to convince everybody that this baby's mine and the dead one's hers. That's a sick woman. The other woman probably isn't all that healthy either. But Solomon says, oh, but I know how women work. So whosoever baby this really is, if there's a threat of harm that comes to this child, the one who isn't hardwired to love this child is going to be indifferent. And the one who's really connected to this one in that profound, mysterious way that mothers are connected, she's going to erupt. So I'll be able to tell really clearly, really quickly, even among crazy people, who this child really belongs to. So it's a really fascinating story. So the king said, this one says, this son, uh, the son who's living is mine, uh, and your son's a dead one. And the other says, no, your son's a dead one, and my son's a living one. The king said, give me a sword. Everyone's like, Solomon's a sick man. No, he's brilliant. This is so brilliant. He could have spent, you know, let's go get a DNA test and let's do a blood sample and we got to test the mom and then we got to test the baby and then we can get this all taken care of in three months. And he says, no, give me a sword. I can take care of this in 10 seconds. He said, divide the living child in two. Give half to one and half to the other. Then the woman whose child was a living one spoke to the king for she was deeply stirred over her son. Now you can't tell in the Greek that's that word compassion right there. And it basically says her insides exploded. They were inflamed at the thought of any harm coming to that child. So God, when he describes himself, the first word out of his mouth was the adjective that's related to that noun. And he said, my love is greater than the love of a mother for a child. So what does God's heart do when he sees you suffering or in need of forgiveness or lost or in darkness or oppressed by your own sin and the situation you put yourself in? How does he feel when he sees harm or danger or suffering? No, I think a crazy prostitute probably outshines God in this department. No, God's heart is on fire with love. The problem is we just won't come to him. And again, like I said, he makes himself vulnerable, so he's not going to twist your arm. He's not going to throw you up against the wall. He's going to appeal. He's going to plead. And your own decisions can lead to your total, absolute destruction. But the whole time, God's going to be pleading with you. It doesn't have to be that way. And if you will come to me, I got all the resources you will ever need to take care of every problem you got, but I'm not going to force this, just like a mother doesn't. So I'm not going to read the whole thing because I want to keep moving. So he wants you, he can't help himself, and his love, love is better than that of your mother's. His compassion is deeper. And I already said this, it is a vulnerable love. It's interesting, when Jesus wanted to get the attention of the religious people in his day, 
He pointed them to the book of Hosea. Twice in Matthew he did. He said, go learn what this statement in Hosea means. And the statement was basically that they needed to figure out what the word hesed is. And the word hesed is the central attribute of God in the Bible. In Exodus 34, 6, that I quoted earlier, compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, great in hesed and faithfulness. That's all, it's all given to us so we can understand this word hesed. I can't go into all the grammar right now. But hesed is the big thing. And Jesus pointed those um, uh, Pharisees and religionists and everything that were getting it all wrong. He said, go back and read Hosea and figure out what this word means. What's the book of Hosea about? Hosea is about a prophet who marries a prostitute. I don't know why this sermon's got so many prostitutes in it. Maybe someone online or something is going to be listening to this because God loves prostitutes as much as anybody. It's about a prophet who marries a prostitute who runs around and sleeps with pretty much any guy she can find. And yet this prophet continues to love her and pursue her and love her and pursue her and love her and pursue her until she's all used up and all her beauty's gone and she's not worth anything and everyone's rejected her. And then the prophet says she's on the auction block and he says, I'll take her. And he said, I'll restore her. I'll bring her back to what she was and then she'll love me. That's the whole story of Hosea. And God says, that's my heart for my people. So it's not, he can use a lot of analogies. He can use a mother, but he can also use this mind-blowing love that this man had for his wife, even though she was totally unworthy of his love. But toward the end of the book, God pronounces judgment and says, look, Israel, this is the way you treat me. You're sacrificing to the, just like we do. We just, we're so, we're so just self-absorbed and arrogant and defiant and blasphemous. And we just mistreat God. We spit in his face all day long. We just, just the majority of the human race. And yet God's always loving us, wooing us, pursuing us. Uh, but eventually a person that does that, they're going to be judged. God doesn't want that. And he's trying to win them back, etc. But at this point, um, Hosea, he, he, first of all, he tells him, you're going to be judged because you just won't return to me. But then he tells them what's going on in his heart, even when he, even when he uh, pronounces judgment. You get what I'm saying here? He said, you have gone so far that you're going to be judged. But then he gives us a peek into his heart about how he feels. Even when, even when our sin leads us to destruction, we end up in prison, we end up on the street, we end up divorced, we end up a million different things, addicted, all the different crazy things that we, we get ourselves into. That's what Israel had done. And he said, look, you're, you're reaping what you've sown. But you want to see my heart? Ephraim was just another name for Israel. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? Those are nations that were judged and flattened in the Old Testament. Why? Because they were wicked. Did God want them to be flattened? No, he wants everybody to repent. He loves everyone. He said, my heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are kindled or on fire. He uses a different word here. It's nacham. It's from a different root. But it's a similar kind of an emotional word. Uh, do I want to get into the technical? No. If you're interested, ask me afterwards. Why do you use a different word? Okay, I will. He says, when he uses the rachum, rachamim words, virtually always he's going to be able to help you. And he will help you. When he uses the nacham words, it usually means that 
you're going to suffer, and even though there's great pain in God's heart. So there's actually a prophet named Nahum, and a really interesting study of why he's called Nahum, but I can't go there. So uh, all my he says, and then he says, I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not destroy you from. So you've got God pronouncing judgment. He's like, I, can't, I hate this. I hate having to see people go through judgment. That's not the God in my head. The God in my head's got red eyes and big bushy eyebrows, and he's got a lightning bolt cocked back like this. And Well, you don't know God very well. Because what he told his friend Moses was, not just that he's compassionate and gracious, but that he's what? Slow to anger. That's another thing about moms. They don't like to punish. That's why God tells dads to do it. Moms don't like to punish. I mean, and someone might say, why well, know a woman who does? Well, that's called an exception. But the rule is, God tells dad to take care of the punishment because mom is always, get, could you just give him one more chance? Like, I, I don't want to see him get spanked. I hate that. Don't, don't keep him from his friends. Don't keep him from joy. Right? They don't, they don't want to see that. Well, in that respect, God's a little bit like a mom. He says, I'm slow to anger, which means I have an aversion to punishing people. But you know what? He is, he is perfectly just, and this is a different thing. He set up the world so that he doesn't have to get directly involved in most situations of punishment. I don't even know if that makes sense to you, and if it doesn't, you need to study the Bible more. God does not come down and smack people around. He usually lets people reap the consequences that, of this system that he's built, when they make a bad decision, there's going to be a bad result. Or he subcontracts wrath. To who? The devil or people who serve the devil. So if something miserable is going to happen in your life, it's going to be because somebody who likes inflicting pain is given enough leash to do it in your life. Because God doesn't like to come near wrath. He doesn't like wrath. He doesn't want to punish. He can do it. Occasionally, I think he has to do it. But just very much like a mother, it's like, fine, you do it. I'm going to the mall. He has an aversion to wrath. That's just a fact. And study the scripture. I could show you a hundred examples of when God is grieving or subcontracting or letting someone else do it because it needs to be done. But he also just built it into the system. You break the laws and the rules and things that govern. It's like trying to break the law of gravity. You know, breaking God's moral laws. We love to break his sexual laws. Then pain is coming. Right? We want to lie. Then pain is coming. We want to harbor bitterness and hatred. Then pain is coming. It's built into the system. God doesn't have to do anything. So anyway, so it's this vulnerable love like Hosea in, uh, in Hosea here. Let's see what else we got about God's love. Okay, I just thought you always got to get the cross in there. His love's better than your mother's. His love's a vulnerable love. What else did I say about it? He can't help himself. And you are wanted. And he tries to win us by demonstrating how much he loves us. And how did he do that? While you were filthy, worthless, spitting in God's eye, living life like a, a little terrorist, scratching and clawing your way through life, making excuses, full of self-pity and bitterness and self-justification, 
wreaking havoc on God's creation, not honoring him, not worshiping him. If you did have a God in your head, it was one that you created. It says God demonstrates his love for us, that in many ways is like a mother, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He said, okay, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, decide the Son is going to go down there among these little image bearers that God loves so much, even when they're little monsters. He's going to put on skin because they all deserve death because of what they've done. I'm going to put on skin. I'm going to show them how much I love them by walking around all day, feeding, healing, touching the lepers, you know, forgiving the prostitutes and the outcasts and the social pariahs and just loving, loving, loving. And then I'm going to let them kill me to show how much I love them because they need to die, but, but I can die in their stead. And that's what I'm going to do. And so the Bible says, well, how much does God love you? He wants you. He's, you know, he's not going to force you. But through the cross of Jesus Christ, he tries to show us. He loves you so much that he doesn't want you to have to pay the penalty to take the wrath for your sin. And that's what the cross is all about. It's a demonstration of God's love. It's a perfect fatherly love, but it's also the, the most beautiful aspects that we see in a mother's love together. And it's perfectly demonstrated in the cross of Christ. So he takes this, our sin on himself. And then when we see him on the cross, and we also realize what? That's what I was supposed to be all along. I was supposed to be that self-giving, loving, you know, person that's serving others. Very much like a mother. I was supposed to be that way towards everyone. Have I lived my life? And it's, it condemns us and it makes us realize how far we are away from God. It makes us realize that we do deserve the wrath of God. But then God says, look, just like a mother. And like Paul said, I gave everything so that you could have everything. And that's what the cross is all about. It's a demonstration of that perfect love of the Father. Next point. And this is one that we have a hard time getting through our heads if we've had too much theology it is a love for all. And that's why I love the book of Jonah. Jonah is such a great book because this description of God, he gives it to the worst people on planet Earth. And he says he loves them, the Ninevites, the hardcore bikers. He loves them as much as he loves the, the perfect, you know, what were the names? Wally and June Cleaver, you know, and leave it to be. He, the perfect, he, he loves everyone. And this is Psalm 145. If you don't know how to uh, use the Blue Letter Bible, who knows how to use the Blue Letter Bible in here? Higher. I want to see your hands higher. You really need to learn how to use the Blue Letter Bible because it can really help you to go deeper into your study of Scripture. And this is, uh, I just wanted to show you from Psalm 145. When you find a word that you want to study more deeply, um, here we see, you can't read Hebrew? Well, learn the alphabet so you can phonetically deal with Hebrew. Oh, Another sermon, I'll really try to refrain myself. If God left us one book to figure it all out and get through life successfully, just one book, some of it was written in Hebrew, some of it was written in Greek, the very least you could do is study it and maybe learn to work a little bit with those languages so we can get the deeper meanings out of this amazing book that God's given us. Now, some people are like, look, I didn't come to church to become a pastor or a seminarian. How about to survive? How about to win at life? How about to have godly kids and a godly marriage and figure out God's plan for your life? He gave us one book. So anyway, ran it in tad. So it won't hurt you to learn the Hebrew alphabet. You could do it this afternoon. And then you can start to go in a little deeper. But if you knew the Hebrew, you would see that in Psalm 145, 
God's love for all, 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 all. So first of all, I have here, it just says, well, that's the word, all, call, or coal. And then it will show you all the places it's used in the Bible. And look at this. Psalm 145, 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 and I couldn't even fit them all on this one page because it is a freakish psalm that God wants you to know that this love is offered to all. Yeah, all except me. Who in here said that in your head? I want you to raise your hand. Just kidding. Don't. Oh, yikes. Some of you did. You raised your hand. That's tragic. That is his number one job. That's what he's doing. That's what he did in the Garden of Eden, trying to pervert our vision of our creator. That's what he did with Eve, and that's what got her off track. That was his first attack on the human race. If he skews your vision of God, you lose. If you find the right vision of God, touch down Jesus. You win. You win. But a lot of you guys said, yeah, this would be great if it were true, but it's not really true. Well, Psalm 145, he couldn't say it any more clearly. The Lord is good to some. All. His compassions, there's that word, there's the magic Hebrew word that's a word like the mother, are over all his works. All your works shall give thanks to you, Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom, talk of your power. The Lord sustains all, raises up all. The eyes of all look to you. You give them food in due time. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. Now, this isn't necessarily true. This is potentially true because you have to believe it and act on it. And if the devil can get you to believe a lie, if I have my arms outstretched to you to give you a hug, but you don't believe I really want to give you a hug, you ain't going to get a hug. Some of you are like, good, I don't want a hug. But... There's people in this world that want a hug from me. My children, my grandchildren, my wife, my friends. But if someone had convinced you, Tad's mad at you, he doesn't really like you, he doesn't... Um, God's arms are open. And this is for all. So, that's all I got. But I just want you to think about God's love. God's love and the aspects of God's love that healed my soul were when I discovered those facets of God's love that are more like a woman. And there's nothing, I think, in the Hebrew language that you could say is more like a woman than this word compassion because it actually comes from a woman's physiology. It's the word for the womb. Turn that into an emotional term. And that's what God's first word out of his mouth. He said, I want you to know I feel deeply for you. But my love's better than a mother's love. I want you, I can't help myself, but I've made myself vulnerable, so you have to believe it and respond to it. And some of us have believed it and we've started to respond to it. And the God who seems too good to be true, some of you are like, I've never heard this before, this is all too good to be true. He is true. And if you don't believe it, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the glory of the gospel of Christ, who is the image of God. Ultimately, Jesus says, hey, whatever I am, he is. Whatever he is, I am. Who didn't Jesus love? Who did Jesus enjoy punishing? Nobody. He could be tough and chastened, but it was only so that he could promote and help and heal. So that's God's heart for you. He loves you. 
We love all of you mothers, and I'm telling you guys, don't listen to this foolish culture that is careening into the abyss with its stupid philosophies and valuations of family and men and women and all that. For you women, if you're called to be a mother, grab a hold of that thing with both hands and throw yourself into it. It's going to be hard, but it will bring you joy and satisfaction. And it's what what God, how he wired most women uh, just to function. And you just, now there, there are exceptions. There's people that God's not called to do that. Well, if that's you, then you're going to absolutely love what it is God's called you to do. But for most people, grab a hold of that. And for the rest of us, know that God loves us better, deeper, more, more ferociously than even the best human mother. So anyway, let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. I want to know your love better. I want you to tear down the barriers in my mind. And uh, your word said, if you didn't spare your own son, but gave him up for us all, how will you not also with him freely give us all things? So we just thank you for that demonstration of your love. And it proves that you'll do anything for us. Um, Just like a mother. Thank you for all the mothers here. We pray you'd bless them. We pray you'd uh, encourage them today. Help us to just remind us to speak encouragement, words of encouragement and blessing on those who are mothers or who have mothered us. And uh, yeah, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. We love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.